Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading, uh, specifically the topic of anger. Maybe seated. In the name of Jesus, where are the miracles during this epiphany season? Perhaps you have been asking that question. Maybe you haven't, but it's fine, regardless. I mean, during the Epiphany season, we are used to hearing and seeing Jesus send disease, darkness, demons, death, packing, putting them to flight. But not this Epiphany season. Where has this Epiphany season taken us? Where? Where? Where in the Gospel of Matthew? The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Why? Why, 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 why? Because Jesus' divinity shines forth in his preaching, in his teaching. Noah, quoting Rabbi so-and-so with J.C., Jesus the Christ. After all, he is the capital A authority, isn't he? I say to you, now that's how Jesus talks, right? I say to you, that's how he talks, because he's God. God in the flesh, teaching all flesh. So what have we learned from the Sermon on the Mount thus far? The Beatitudes, right? That's what kicks off the Sermon on the Mount. Being salt and, 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 Light bulbs, right? Light. And the beauty of Jesus being our righteousness, our enoughness, that brings us into and keeps us in the kingdom of God, the family of God. So what's next with the Sermon on the Mount? What is so important to Jesus what is it that he can't wait to teach? What topic do we got to hear? A-N-G-E-R. Anger. Anger, the topic of anger. And this is very important because the devil loves to use anger to sabotage congregations. How so? Well, when we sin against brothers and sisters, Jesus says that the devil can use their anger to turn them into murderers. Whew, that escalated quickly. <laughs> That's right, folks. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder, is taken up by Jesus and kicked up several notches. So... It's not just about taking a cut cone knife and stabbing someone in the heart, killing them, murdering them physically. It's also using our tongues to slice and dice, killing, murdering brothers and sisters in Christ spiritually. Jesus talks about this, right? Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. Now, the use of brother here brings the topic of anger home to 303 Ruth Street. See, Jesus ain't talking about our relationships out there. He's talking about our relationships in here. Why? Why, 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 why? Because the devil can use anger to annoy and destroy a congregation. He's the lead instigator, after all, when it comes to this use of anger being so destructive now, let me just say right from the get-go, anger in and of itself is neutral. Neither bad nor good. It's an indicator that something or someone you love has been wounded, hurt. Now, often that someone is the, is the person you see in the mirror, right? Okay. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's how it works for me, at least, okay? What we do with anger, though, that's where we get into trouble. And the devil, of course, eggs us on. He gets us to do some pretty nasty things with our anger. After all, he is an anger expert. He got a PhD in anger. It's his cup of tea. His modus operandi, his mode of operation, it's, it's, it's what he does best. He's an angry, angry, angry demon, this Satan. He's not into anger management, he's into anger manipulation, right? And one of the sneakiest satanic attacks on a congregation, including GLC, begins when we sin against a fellow G-L-C-er. Now, what is the normal reaction to being wounded, to being sinned against? Anyone? Anyone you get? You get angry. You get angry. I get angry, right? And the devil knows this. The devil wants to use that anger to tempt you, to give into that anger. Now, if the wounded brother, the grace guy, gives into the anger, well then you know what happens next. That grace guy replays the hurt over and over and adds episodes of when you sliced and diced him. Eventually what happens is that, uh, well, you become public enemy number one. It doesn't take very long, does it? No keeping this to himself. Oh no, this grace guy wants to make sure that as many people as possible sees you in the way that he does. I'm right in my anger, and I want everyone to agree with me. So the anger is voiced the gossip mill open for business, folks. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Insults. The word here means numbskull. Empty head. Um, El stupido? I'm sorry, I had a 
Put in some, some flair there. El Stupido, yeah. It's a diss to dismiss this person, this fellow brother, this fellow sister in Christ. But the escalation of anger doesn't have to stop there. In fact, the devil doesn't want the escalation of anger to stop there. The devil wants to lead this person to a final step, which Jesus actually talks about. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You fool. Theologically, vas is das. What does this mean? Has nothing to do with Mr. T, okay? You fool. What is a person saying when they say you fool theologically? Speaking, I condemn you to hell with you. The wounded grace guy storms the judge's seat, slams the gavel, and sentences the offender to hell, and thereby sentences himself to H-E double hockey six hell. Yowzers, double whammy. Such a sad, spiteful cycle. So often, hurt people hurt people. The wounded wound, the abused abuse, and this need not be. Dear friends, let's not justify our sins committed against one another in the congregation, or else we might get tossed into that hellacious dungeon, that hellacious prison. Sin, dear friends, never okay. That goes without saying, but I'm saying it. <laughs> sin is never okay. And Jesus wants us to deal with sin ASAP because the longer we avoid the sin, the more division, destruction, damage, death there is. And so our Lord Jesus the Christ gives us a swift kick in the behind this morning. Ah, did you feel that? I did. Okay, here we go. Matthew 5, verses 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to, to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus ain't playing games here. Now, sadly, often we play the devil's game. Often unknowingly okay, we wound a brother, a sister in Christ, and we know they're angry, and we use the devil's playbook, and we write the person off. Well, yeah, so-and-so just so emotional, just irrational. Oh, yeah, that bloke, I mean, thin skin, without question. I mean, I was just trying to be hysterical. You know, the funny guy. I never meant to make that person hysterical. Yowzers, lighten up, man. Get a funny bone. And, of course, well, that person has done far worse to me. So let's just chalk it up to getting even, shall we? 
When a member here is wounded by our words and or works, it's no time to say, eh, it was nothing. He'll get over it. An attitude like that actually stokes anger. And remember, and remember, the devil uses anger. He weaponizes it against us. The devil, Satan, uses anger to deepen the divide and drive a dear brother, a dear sister, to distance himself, herself, from the congregation, thinking, why even go to grace? Why even go to church? I mean, that person, I can't, I can't stand to look at that person's face. That person makes me just nostrils flared, angry, so upset. I mean, that guy just strutting around, acting like nothing happened, acting like he, hasn't, he, has, he has done nothing wrong. Unbelievable. It's just better for me to stay home on Sunday because I can't even concentrate in church anyway. Now, that is what the devil wants more than ever. Right? That's what he wants. He wants to put this wedge between the Christian and the church. Why? Because isolated Christians are easy pickings. That's why. We dare not want that for any brother, any sister. So what do we dare to be? Dare to do? Jesus calls us not to be wounding warmongers, but rather prayerful peacemakers because Jesus has already shed his blood at Calvary and made us, established us as his beloved, forgiven, and forgiving family. Now, all the words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is and does. That's one thing really beautiful about our, our God. Everything he commands us, he himself does. No other God in any other religion does that way above the rules. Our, our God, he plays by the rules. His own rules. So, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Is first and foremost about, say it, Jesus. Sunday school answer, thank you. Okay. Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God who made peace between holy God and sinful humanity. Holy God, sinful you. Holy God, sinful me. God and sinner reconciled. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker who set aside his anger and sacrificed his himself in love for you, for me, for everybody, reconciling the world to the Father. Jesus did no wrong. And yet, he hellaciously suffered for every one of our wrongs. Our giving into anger, our ignoring that offended, wounded, hurt brother, sister, the Grudges, the gossip, the groveling, the get-evens, the going our own way. Jesus sighed, cried, died for all of it, folks. For all of it. 
all that rightfully damned us, placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus the Christ, who only did that which was right so that he could make us right. Did you ever think about this? Jesus is the most abused person in the history of the world. But the abuse he suffered with joy shattered, destroyed that cycle of abuse so that we can have joy. Joy as his people. Joy as the beloved family of God. Joy as the good shepherd Jesus' flock. As we hear in 1 Peter chapter 2, beautiful words here. He committed no sin, that is Jesus, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, Marty Luther on this text says, if these words don't move you, you are a stone. <laughs> a rock. Well, thanks be to God, I ain't looking at stones. I ain't looking at rocks. No way, Jose. We are his, that is the Father's, beloved sheepies. Called, claimed, in the waters of holy baptism, and cleansed. Oh yes, we are cleansed. All the pain we inflicted on others, cleansed. All the abuse suffered from others, cleansed. Cleansing both ways. The sins we have committed and the sins committed against us, all cleansed. It's all cleansed. It's all washed down the drain of the baptismal font so that the words of the prophet Isaiah from chapter 1 of his book apply to each and every one of us here at GLC. Beautiful words. You know these words. Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our God holds absolutely nothing against us. How can he? Everything that could give us an eternal death, death sentence saddled on the sun and satisfied. Settled. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. You live! And so do I. Not just any old way, though, right? You, you heard Pastor Peter in, in that reading I just read. He calls us to uh, live to righteousness. Now, I've, I know I've done this before recently, but you know, to bear with me, okay? That word righteousness, what word do you see in it? Right. Right? <laughs> Having been made right 
with God the Father, and with one another, by that spilled Good Friday blood of Jesus, we now go and do with joy what's right. When we have wounded our siblings, when we have hurt them, when we have made them angry, as our Lord says in verses 23 and 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is who we are. Behold, the forgiven and forgiven, forgiving family of God. Peacemakers. Yes, we are peacemakers in and through Jesus Christ. The Christ, the ultimate peacemaker, having been reconciled to the Father. Let's now see anger as an opportunity to play peacemaker with this wounded brother, that wounded sister. Did you catch the unexpected in our text this morning from the lips of Jesus? Something that is totally unexpected. Something that should have come out of left field for you. And me. Jesus puts the onus on the offender to go and seek peace with the offended. Now, this was taken pretty seriously in the early church, the first couple generations of the Christian church. And uh, they had this practice called the kiss of peace. Did you ever run into that expression uh, in the letters? From Pastor Paul, kiss of peace. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? 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 Okay. <laughs> kiss of peace. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was a practice that was done right after the sermon, but right before the distribution, di the distribution of the Lord's Supper. It was an opportunity for you to think about the folks that may have a beef with you. Someone may have a problem with you. Instead of doubling down on your pride and justifying your sin against that fellow brother or sister in Christ, you saw anger as an opportunity for life to flourish. Forgiveness to flow. Peace to prosper. Grace to abound. You chose life. And so before the Lord's Supper, you would set your gift down, and you would go to that wounded soul. And you'd give him a big wet one on the forehead. Or on the cheek. Kissing your brother. Kissing your sister. Not a kiss like Judas's kiss. No kiss of death, a kiss of life. A kiss that sent the devil packing. The devil losing another battle. The devil shown the door. The devil having his plans blow up in his face. Poo! Where he wanted to use anger to tear down the church, the Christian chose anger to build up the church to strengthen that bond of peace with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know that we don't have the kiss of peace. 
And don't worry, Pastor Aaron isn't going to go to the elders, you know, this week and, and ask them, hey, can we, can we institute the kiss of peace? I don't think we, we want to be known for that as a congregation, okay? But we do have the Pax Domini. The Pax Domini. Right before the Lord's Supper, I lift up the body and blood of Christ. The very means by which the Father reconciled us to himself and to one another. The very pledge and promise of his unending, unconditional love for you, for me, for everybody. And I say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Always. Dear friends, let's start looking at the Pax Domini. As an opportunity to think about the folks that we have wounded, the toes that we have stepped on, the hearts that we have stomped, the people that we have put out, the hate we've spewed. And then come forward to the meal, the Lord's Supper, and receive the gift of peace. The very peace that was purchased with the passion of J.C., the very peace that can overcome the deepest, darkest divisions, and then depart in peace, yes, depart in peace with this gift of peace, and take that peace to those wounded souls. This is what it means to choose life. Where are the miracles this epiphany season? I'm looking at the miracles. And so are you. Look around you. Peacemakers in the house of our God. Not just this season, but every season. And the devil absolutely hates it. Makes him nostril, nostrils flared angry. So, my fellow peacemakers. Let's keep that devil angry. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.